0: If you'd like to join us for that, you guys know how to do that. There's a slip there in your bulletin. Just fill that out. You can drop it in one of the boxes here or the yellow box out there on the patio. And you can also put your prayer requests in those boxes. You've got to tear off there in your bulletin for that, as well as your tithes and offerings if uh, refuge is your home church. And then um, lost and found. You guys leave a lot of stuff here after services. <laughs> Jackets and... Um, yeah glasses and occasionally a cell phone, and like the water flask there's like twenty twenty five of those in there, and some of the, these things are like twenty thirty dollar items. so all of that stuff right now is out on a table in the back of the sanctuary, I believe, so encourage us to glance over that and uh we'll probably have that out for a few weeks, and then after that we gotta we gotta move on from that so if if you're like at a thrift store in three weeks and you see your water flask or your glasses there that's that's on you that's not on us so check that out and get that stuff or if you see my kid wearing taking you know wearing your old jacket or something then (laughs) and uh so check out the rest of the bulletin there there's stuff going on and and various opportunities and things so um Let's get into God's Word here this morning. This is our third week, I believe, in the Gospel of John in the 19th chapter. We've seen the Lord scourged and beat and crucified for our sin. And boy, that study a few weeks ago, it was very weighty. And uh, that was that was a tough study and, and throughout the week and so forth. And at the same time, it was just so glorious to see the love of the Lord, you know, uh, and Him laying down His life for us. Uh, throughout all of it, we've seen... Tons of prophecies being fulfilled uh, as you know evidence that Jesus is the Christ and the Messiah. And then last week we saw the Lord there declaring on the cross it is finished. And then it says he breathed his last and offered up his spirit, one of the other gospels. And we talked about what did he finish. And he finished again that which was needed for us to be able to have the means of salvation. He paid the debt of our sin sin's costly and someone has to pay the debt and jesus paid the debt for us and we declared it it's finished it's a term that merchants would use saying it's paid in full and aren't you glad this morning that in christ jesus you know that the the requirement of your sin of what you owe for that has been paid in full and the lord laying down his life for you and that we can know that we know that we have salvation in the lord uh, no purgatory for me it's paid for by the lord jesus christ It's glorious, and it is so good. And now today, as we, Lord willing, finish out the chapter, we're going to see, amongst other things, the Lord's side pierced for us. We're going to see the fulfillment of prophecy in that. We're going to talk about the water and the blood that came out and the significance of that. We're going to see John, as well, declaring that his witness concerning these things is true. It's like him saying, I know that I know that I know that this is true. And he's going to say, not only because of what I saw, and in First John, he says, not only what I saw, but also what I touched, but he's going to say, because of God's word, the prophetic fulfillment of, again, scripture and what the Lord did for us. And then at the end of the chapter, we're going to see a couple secret disciples in Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, the Pharisee, moving out of being a place of being gripped with fear and stepping out of faith and saying, listen, let's go walk in what God's called us. Let's make our witness public. And we're going to see that they did not regret that. And let me tell you, there's never a regret when we move from fear to faith, never a regret. The Lord will always meet you where you are at. So we'll read a couple, uh, you know, verses or a section at a time and make our way down through it. So that's A little bit of where we've been and where we're going let's go there now let's start by reading verse 31 through 34 it says therefore because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the sabbath for that sabbath was a high day the jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who was crucified with him But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. Now, we see that it's the preparation day for the Sabbath. And so we know in that 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 means it was a Friday. Now, I know some people look at this and believe maybe it was a Thursday. They believe maybe some even say it was a Wednesday And I understand where they get that thought from. Traditionally, most people agree that it was on Friday where he was crucified. And I'm not one to get in splitting hairs over that. I'm just thankful that my Lord died for my sins and rose from the grave. So it was a preparation day for the Sabbath. And then notice it was the high Sabbath. And the Sabbath starts at sundown On Friday till sundown on Saturday. And if you go to Israel today, they still honor the Sabbath, especially in the Jerusalem area. Public transportation shuts down and most businesses are closed and so forth. Uh, So it was the preparation for that. And again, in saying the high Sabbath means it was twice as holy as a normal Sabbath. And that not only was it the Sabbath that they were to take off and rest, but it was also the day of one of the seven feasts of the year that they were supposed to celebrate and honor God in, and this was Passover, so it was a high Sabbath. Now, praise God, is he your Savior today? Is Jesus your Lord? Can you say amen to that? Then listen, you're honoring the Sabbath seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and that we have rested now in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've ceased from trying to work our way to heaven. The Lord's paid the price and we are at rest in him. Now, practically, if you want to honor the Sabbath and take a day off, praise God. Do that unto the Lord and be blessed in that. And if you want to work seven days a week, which I don't highly recommend uh, because rest is good, do that unto the Lord. We have freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus is our Sabbath. Now, and he fulfilled the Sabbath. Now, the Jews are going and asking Pilate, That the legs of those on the cross might be broken, that they could take them away. That they could get them, again, off of that place where they have been crucified. And the truth is, the Jews were not to leave any man on a tree on any day overnight, lest the land be defiled. And this is an Old Testament concept and something we've talked about the last few weeks. It's come up. But in Deuteronomy 21-22, again... An Old Testament verse, part of the law that God gave to Israel when they entered into covenant together. It says, if a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. For he who is hung is accursed of God." And so it should have been a thing where they already had it established with Pilate and Rome, because we saw how they could get their way on a lot of things, that if there were anyone, uh, you know, especially a Jew that was crucified there in Jerusalem, their body should have been taken down at that point. Um, But we see that it is Passover, and they're very concerned now with the appearance of how that would look with so many Jews coming from all over the world and the region to celebrate Passover. And so they're asking for the legs to be broken so that those on the cross would suffocate and die so they could take their bodies down before sundown and they could bury them in the grave. But it should have been something that this was already set in place. Again, the scripture says because if they're there, they're going to defile the lamb. And it kind of shows you the legalism of the Pharisees, the fact that they would strain at a gnat and that they would swallow a camel, that, you know, they would oftentimes ignore parts of the law if it wasn't convenient for them. And then it was convenient for them. They said, listen, you know, we got to honor this. And so this should have already been established. But because it's Passover and they're concerned with how they appear to people, they say, We got to get these guys off the cross because it's Passover, especially knowing that Jesus is up there, whom, again, listen, when he walked on the earth, he made a great impact in that region. And then after his death and resurrection, made a great impact upon the world. And they knew many that were coming there knew of Jesus. And then upon the cross, remember, it says, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. That's what it said over him. And they, they wanted to shut all that down and interesting that they're wanting this to happen so they can honor the Sabbath um, because they want to keep the law, but at the same time, they're crucifying the son of the God of the Sabbath. A little bit of hypocrisy there, wouldn't you say so? And it's where Jesus you know, rebuked them in Matthew 23, 23, when he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others to undone. Blind guides, you strain in a gnat and swallow a camel. And saying, boy, we gotta get those bodies down to honor the Sabbath, to be right with God is straining in a gnat when you compare it with, but we got no problem with crucifying the son of the God of the Sabbath. In fact, the God of the Sabbath himself but praise God listen he would use their legalistic ways to absolutely help bring about his plan of the Lord dying on a tree for our sins and also being buried on the same day because remember we read there in Deuteronomy that if they die on the tree they can't be hung overnight they got to be taken down and buried on the same day And so God would use their sin and their legalism to bring about his plan and his will. And this is kind of an insight of how God works all things together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes, Romans 8.28. And these guys would not get in the way of what God was doing. And in fact, God would even use them as enemies of the Lord to bring about the will of God. Isn't that assuring this morning? I mean, especially when you just see all the nonsense in the world, and you know a world that is heavily under an antichrist spirit. To know that, listen, God is even using that rebellion, and you know what? He, he he's he's moving things that even in our eyes just you know look so horrible in our. But because He's in control, even in that, He's using that to bring fulfillment to Scripture. And absolutely bring glory to his name and if we don't see it now we will see it when the lord comes back the glory and honor do him now with this as well listen jesus did not come again to defile the land if they left him on the cross and he wasn't buried that day he would defile the land have you ever thought about that and it really puts a, a great emphasis on the end of the chapter here of how these things unfolded, that the Lord was taken off the cross and he was buried that same day before dark came. Because if he hadn't done that, you could argue our sins aren't atoned for. The Lord didn't take the curse off the land, but the Lord defiled the land by not being buried in the grave that day. And we know Jesus, again, didn't come to defile the land, but he came to take the curse off the land. Because there's a curse that was put upon this land when man sinned in the garden, And we talk about it all the time, how God made man, made woman, put him in the garden, told him, eat of any tree of this garden, be blessed, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day you eat of that tree, you're going to, can we say it together, you're going to die. And again, Satan came along, villainized God, got man to begin to question the word of God. Woman saw that it was good to make one wise and look good for food. She ate of it. She was deceived, but then Adam willfully ate of it. And from that moment, death set in. Physical death set in. Spiritual death set in. Sinful man now was separated from holy God. And we read there in Genesis 3 that a curse came upon the lamb. And so to have that curse removed, one had to die on a tree so the curse could be taken off the land and put upon the one who died on the tree and he needed to be buried that day. And Christ came to do that. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Isn't that awesome this morning? And it's not just faith in anything, it's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's your faith in Jesus Christ today. Then the curse that was upon you has been taken off, the curse of the law. And now, again, you have the blessings of Abraham and that Abraham was in covenant with God. You have the blessings now of Abraham and that you are in covenant with God now. And you're no longer under the law that damns you, but now you're under the shed blood of Jesus Christ that saves you. And listen, the day is coming very soon when the Lord is going to come back. And the curse that is on the earth is going to be fully removed. We see it partially in the millennial reign of Christ removed, and then there'll be a new heaven and a new earth that's going to be completely curse-free, and it's going to be a glorious, glorious day. I'm looking forward to that day. I don't know about you, but I'm I'm looking forward to that. Thanking God for today, but looking forward to, listen, the, the, the great inheritance that we have in the Lord Jesus. So verse 32 says, Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who was crucified with him. So both of those thieves, and we'll go back and be reminded of the conversation they had with Jesus upon the cross, both of the legs were broken. And immediately when their legs were broken, they became like drowning men with an anchor tied to their feet. We talked about this a few weeks back, how when they would crucify men, they would nail them to the cross through their wrists on each side so that they could be held up there. And you got to understand the thought back then that the palm extended from here to here. And so the wrist would hold them up there. The palm, they would fall off. So they would nail them through the wrist and then they would take the two feet and they would put a nail through the two feet. I mean, that in itself sounds immensely painful, but imagine having that happen to you after being scourged you know by a roman soldier with a cat and nine tails and then beat by the hands of those soldiers and in jesus's case many others as well and they would hang them to the cross and remember they would pick up the cross and they would they would nail them to it on the ground and then they would put it in a in a hole in the ground hold up the cross and immediately most of their bones or many of their bones would come out of joint and they would hang there and yet Listen, they didn't die from the nails. They would die from suffocation because as they hung there, they couldn't breathe. So what they would do is they would push themselves up on that nail to get a breath. They'd come back down. And there's records of of guys hanging on that cross for days on end, getting another breath and coming down. And so when they said break the legs and Pilate agreed to do that, it was so that they couldn't lift themselves up to get another breath, but they would die upon that cross. And think about that, being on that cross and having your legs broken out of with all the other pain you've already gone through. I mean, this is very inhumane. Uh, the Bible talks about the mercies of the wicked being cruel. This is very, very cruel. Now, listen, the Bible supports... Capital punishment from the beginning to the end for those that have legitimate witnesses that they've committed capital crimes. It's one of the ways to uh, decrease crimes that should be punished by capital punishment. But absolutely, the Bible does not endorse this kind of uh, inhumane treatment of anybody. And so it just shows just the wickedness of everything that was going on there. And so their legs were broke. And listen, when that happened, they begin to die, and physically both of them die, but hear this this morning, both of their souls absolutely lived on, and we got to know this. These bodies are going to die. These bodies will be resurrected at some point, but the soul lives on forever. Now those in Christ Jesus, at the second coming of the Lord, these bodies will be resurrected and transformed into a body like christ had when he rose from the grave a glorious body do you understand that those that reject christ their bodies will be resurrected too at the white throne judgment and there will be a type of body that the soul is in forever in a place that i didn't make up but jesus preached about often called hell now this first you know what thief that we've seen call upon christ Again, his body died, his soul lived on, and immediately his soul was in the presence of the Lord. Because remember, when they were on the cross, the one gospel re- re- records that at one point, both of them were, you know, joining the crowd, saying blasphemous things to the Lord. And yet at one point, we read out this in detail in Luke 23, 39 through 42, the one thief realized that he was a transgressor of the law and deserved to be there, but that Jesus had done nothing wrong and indeed he was Lord. And he cried out to Jesus and he said to him, uh, where are we at here? He says, uh, then he said to Jesus, Luke 23, 42, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He cried out to Jesus. He called him Lord. Lord, remember me. He called upon the name of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. The Lord gave him assurance of salvation immediately When he humbled his heart, acknowledged he was a sinner, and called out to Jesus to be his Lord and to be his Savior, and immediately the Lord gave him assurance that he was washed, that he was forgiven, that he was cleansed, and that he would die that day, but that day he would be with the Lord in paradise, and his body would die, but his soul would be immediately ushered in the presence of God into eternal, this sounds good, eternal paradise. Now, listen, unless there is an unrecorded repentance of the other thief. And I have to think that if he repented, we would have that recorded. But unless there was an unrecorded repentance, that other thief, when he died immediately, listen, his soul lived on. And immediately his soul was plummeted into an eternal hell. In a place much worse than the cross that he hung on. Listen, both places were places of torment. But on that cross, he still had hope. On that cross, he was still in the valley of decision. He still had opportunity to call upon Christ, especially when he heard the gospel unfold right before him. Not only did that other thief get saved, but in the process of being saved, he was an evangelist. Do you realize that? That other thief heard the gospel... As well as that centurion at the foot of the cross that we talked about last week that got saved as well. And God was using the guy before he even got born again to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That other thief still had hope. But once he died in his sin, listen, that hope was gone and he crossed over to again a place called hell where now his decision would be honored forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Now listen, I know this is where some people say, I don't believe in hell. I don't wanna believe in hell. How can a loving God send people to hell? A loving God sent his son to die on the cross for your sin. And a loving God gave you a free will to choose what you want to do with your life and who you wanna put your trust in. Again, many people, they'll say, I don't believe that, and I don't want to believe that. I believe men's souls will just be incinerated and they'll cease to be. And that's gotten very popular in the church today. But listen, that's not what Jesus taught. You know, Jesus taught more about hell than he ever taught about heaven. And he taught the soul will live on. Listen to a few of these verses. Matthew 18.8, this is all Jesus speaking. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame and maimed rather than to have two hands and two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than to have two eyes and be cast into eternal hellfire. Now, as far as the cutting off of the hand, He's speaking figuratively. But it is that emphasis on you got to die to these things and put your faith in Christ, lest you be cast into hell forever. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 41, then he will also say to those left on the left hand, depart from me. You cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. God never made hell for man. That was never the Lord's heart that men would go to hell. That was made for the devil and his angels when they sinned against God. The devil and a third of the angels who tried to ascend above God. There was a penalty for that move. And then when man followed along in the garden, there was a penalty for him. And that's where he needed a savior. And God could have left man in that place, but immediately he gave him the promise of a savior who was going to come. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 46, all these will go away, notice here, into everlasting punishment but the righteous into everlasting life in other words the soul lives on the soul lives on of the unrighteous and the righteous the unrighteous into everlasting punishment the righteous into eternal life and then in luke 16 24 the lord gave us an account of hell itself and someone in hell in the parable or the account of the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man, it says, he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. The body dies, but not the soul. Souls live on eternally. And hear this, the only difference between the soul of the one thief and the other there was one thing that made them different. You know what it was? The grace of God. That one obtained through humbling his heart and calling upon Jesus for forgiveness and putting his trust in him. And the other did not obtain because he rejected the Lord in his pride. He had it all figured out. It's hard to imagine dying on a cross next to Jesus and not calling on his name with everything that unfolded there, the darkness that fell on the land, the series of events that unfolded around the whole thing. But it's crazy how men will hold on to sin all the way to the very end, despite the great goodness of our God. I always marvel when I read the book of Revelation, when you read about the plagues that come upon the earth, during the tribulation, how horrific they are. And again, that's man incurring God's judgment. That's God wrapping things up and forcing men to choose who they'll serve. But it says in Revelation nine eighteen, it says, by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by fire and the smoke of the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents having heads and with them they do harm. Notice here, but the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk, and they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or of their sexual immorality or their thefts this great demonstration of the power of God, but they say, I still refuse to repent and worship you. I'll be my own God. We gotta be sobered up by these things. We gotta understand that the soul lives on forever and God has us here to be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone we come in contact with because that's the only thing that's gonna save them. And that's the only thing that's gonna save us. Verse 33 and 34, it says, But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with the spirit. Immediately, blood and water came out. So they saw Jesus was already dead. In Mark's gospel, in Mark 15, it says, Pilate marveled when he heard he was already dead. The way Jesus held up through that scourging and that beating and the fact that he got full blows of 39 blows with a cat of nine tails. We talked about that, how he wouldn't confess sin, so he got 39, not only, you know what, medium blows, but to the highest point that they could beat a man with. And when he said, behold the man, it it was in part of him marveling, this is the man. We can't kill this guy. He should be dead right now. And he probably was thinking he's going to be on that cross for days. Because if this doesn't kill him, this is like a timeout for him now on the cross. And here's the truth of the matter listen, that cross would not have killed him, it couldn't have killed him. Because the wages of sin is death, and Jesus never sinned. They couldn't kill him no matter how hard they tried. Jesus laid down his life. Jesus laid down his life for another, for me. He laid down his life for you. No one took his life. They could not kill him no matter how hard they tried. He was without sin. The wages of sin is death and Jesus never sinned. So they come and they see that he's dead. So they don't break their legs. They don't break his legs because they didn't have to. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But to make sure he was dead, one of the soldiers pierced his side and the water and blood came out. We'll talk more about that again in a second because it's talked about again in a couple verses. But that water and blood coming out, we'll talk about another prophecy fulfilled in a second, was prophetic in a prophecy we've talked about and looked at the last few weeks and that it shows that the Lord died of a broken heart. A ruptured heart. And again, in the Old Testament, of Psalm twenty-two fourteen, 14, speaking of the suffering servant, the Messiah, he says, I'm poured out like water, and my bones are out of joint. And again, his bones were out of joint through the cross dropping into the hole. He says, my heart is like wax. It is melted within me. And it's a description of a ruptured heart, of a broken heart, dying because of that. And indeed, it's prophetic because it shows the Lord's heart melted like wax. And when he offered up his spirit, his physical death was the rupturing of the heart, or he allowed his heart to be broke. Now, this is where we step back and we say, oh, is that because of my sin? And a part it was, but I personally think, and I'll, I'll, I'll preface this with this is just my thought, in that when he became sin for us, Again, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. When that happened, due to the wrath poured out on Jesus and him becoming sin for us, his fellowship with the Father was broken. And I believe personally, you can take it or leave it, this is what I believe personally. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is when his heart ruptured. It was a broken heart because of the breaking of fellowship between the son and the father. And it says, after this, he breathed his last. He declared it as finished, breathed his last, and offered up his spirit. The father, the son was willing to be separated from the father to save your soul. Isn't that how good our God is? He was allowed, again, his heart to be crushed for us. This would also, the, the, the spirit of the side, it would also be evidence of the truth of his death. In order to present the proof of his resurrection, there are some people that argue, oh, Jesus never died. He just swooned on the cross. He never died. That's how he was able to resurrect. I came across this years ago. I've shared it a few times over the years. A lady wrote into a, a church magazine into the question and answer for him. And she said, dear sirs, our preacher said on Easter that Jesus just swooned on the cross and the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? Sincerely bewildered. There's preachers that preach that. They're not preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They answered her and they said, dear bewildered, beat your preacher with a cat of nine tails with 39 heavy strokes Nail him to a cross, hang him in the sun for six hours, run a spear through his side, put him in an airless tomb for 36 hours, and see what happens. <laughs> Listen, those soldiers were commissioned to make sure those guys were dead. And if they weren't dead and they took him down, you know who would be dead next? Those soldiers. Rome did not play. It was imperative that they knew that they were dead. Otherwise, they would get the punishment that was due that criminal on the cross. Now John says in verse 35, and he who has seen has testified and his testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. And John is here saying, basically saying, I know that I know that I know that these things are true. I have seen these things and I'm testifying to you that they are true. In 1 John 1, 1 one through four. He talks about not only have I seen, but I've I've touched. I know Jesus came in the flesh. I know he literally walked on the earth. And then he also says in 1 John 1 4, he says, I've seen and I've touched, and he says, and we've written these things down. And those things were written down because as we read in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21, prophecy never came by the will of man, but by men of God, when they spoke as the Holy Spirit moved upon him. He saw, he touched, and then the Holy Spirit moved upon him to pen scripture, prophetically given. And then from there, listen, his life and the Holy Spirit working in his life is evidence that his testimony is true. Because John was persecuted to an immense degree in his life. We talked about this in our study in John, how at one point they tried to boil him in oil and they couldn't kill him. Jesus had rubbed on, off on him really hard. He, he couldn't kill him. And they finally said, what are we gonna do with this guy? Oh, let's, let's banish him to an island called Patmos. That will take care of, that will help crush this Christianity thing. And he goes out there as a revelation of Jesus Christ. Gave us the book of Revelation again god using the methods and the acts of the wicked to bring forth glory to his name so he declares us i know that i know that is true there's no speculation here and how many people today run around and they want to speculate about scripture well i don't know i'm going to speculate and then in their speculation they say and i i'm speculating but i'm an authority so you got to listen to me i'm going to take the witness of john the apostle over these speculators I think he's a credible witness, wouldn't you say? He wrote four books in the Bible. It's the bestseller of all time. And he says, I, I, I'm testifying these things for this purpose, that you may and that you would believe. That's what this is all about. That you would call upon Christ. As it says there in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In other words, your soul's going to live forever, and if you believe in Jesus, it will live forever in paradise with the Lord. John 3.18, He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Again, that's what it comes down to. Who do you put your faith in? Who is your Lord? Is it Jesus Christ or is it your own belly as the Bible talks about? In 1 John, I don't have time to go into deep detail about it, but in 1 John 5, 6 through 10, John talks more about these witnesses. In fact, let's just read it here. It says, 1 John 5, 6, it says, this is he who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. And there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, the Holy Spirit. These three are one. Oh, it's the Trinity in the Bible. It's all over the Bible. And right here, it's specifically the Father, the Word, who is Christ Jesus. He declares himself to be the Word in the Gospel of John and the Holy Spirit. The three are one. They bear witness in heaven. And there are three here on earth that bear witness, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. And then it says, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son, that he who believes in the son of God has the witness in himself. And he who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given his son. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit bear witness in heaven. The Spirit, the water, and the blood bear witness on earth. The water being a reference not only to the water that came out on the cross, but he was birthed through water here on earth. Listen, we were all birthed through water. Your mama's water broke, and then you came out, and you said, here I am. And it bears witness that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. The spirit of Antichrist says Jesus didn't come in the flesh. And a lot of cults say he didn't come in the flesh or he didn't resurrect in the flesh. And if that didn't happen, we don't have a savior. We needed someone to literally die for us. And then the blood bears witness. It bears witness to his life laid down for us. And then it says here, if we believe in him, we believe in the son of God, we have the witness in ourselves. And I don't know about you, but when I came to faith in Christ, I came to a place of unbelief to a place of belief. And then as I began to walk with him, and he began to do a work in my life, and I began to see his hand move in my life, I began to moving from a place of "I know" to "I know," to "I know that I know that I know." And I know that I know that I know that I know above everything I know that Jesus is Lord and he's the resurrected Savior. I know that. I know it through prophecy fulfilled and I know it through the work of God in my life and that he has shown a grace and he has shown mercy to a sinner like me. Verse 36 for these things were done that scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken again. Another scripture says they shall look on him whom they pierce. Now John points to even a greater witness, the witness of the word of God. Scripture is fulfilled. The fulfillment of scripture in the life of Jesus Christ is the greatest evidence that Jesus is the Christ. Do you believe it's even greater than the witness of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in heaven? It is. That's not my my opinion. That's God's word. Psalm 38, two, he says, you have magnified your word above all your name. The prophetic word of God is the greatest witness that Jesus Christ is the Lord, In fact, it's the word of God that brings us to faith. Romans 10, 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? And then it says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is why we teach the word of God at this church. This is why I try to differentiate between, hey, this is what I think versus this is what we really know. And try to be very few commentary of this is what I think, but this is what we know from the word of God. So he's saying, I didn't just see this, but I saw the fulfillment of scripture. Not one of his bones was broken. That was a prophecy given. His bones would be out of joint, but not one of them would be broken. Psalm 34, 19 and 20. Again, the suffering servant. Prophecy about Christ's crucifixion. Meaning you're the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. And there was a reason for this. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Christ is our Passover. And in Exodus twelve forty six, an Old Testament scripture, when they started Passover, none of the bones of the lamb at Passover could be broken. Speaking of that lamb, in one house it should be eaten. You should not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. Remember the Passover when God delivered Israel out of Egypt. It was that last plague. Take a lamb. You know it. Get to know it. Sacrifice it. Eat it. God's not wasteful. Then take the blood and put it over the doorpost. so when the angel of death comes, he passes over your house. Your sins are covered. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover. Remember, he started his ministry in John 1, 29. John the Baptist saw him come and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is our Passover. And not one of his bones could be broken, and it wasn't. And man, the beating the Lord went through, yet none of his bones were broken? He had bones of iron is what he had. <laughs> the punching in the face and they couldn't break his bones. And listen, I don't want to get into outward appearances because God looks at the heart, but I do think there's an effort of Satan to try to make Jesus effeminate. And I, I, I know men that are frail that are much more masculine than other men that are, you know what, muscle, a muscle, a muscle, but I do think it's an effort of the enemy to try to make Jesus effeminate, to take away from how God created men to be masculine, and always trying to present them as this frail, womanly-like person. in a lot of the artwork and so forth. I don't read that scripturally. Scripturally, I read someone that took thirty-nine blows with a cat of nine tails, and he got up, and he, he 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 got up from it, and not one of his bones was broken. And again, I'm not trying to emphasize the outward appearance, but I'm trying to emphasize the fact that Jesus Christ came as a man and he walked as a man versus the enemy trying to make him effeminate. You guys know what I'm talking about in, in, in those presentations and so forth. There's also another prophecy here, though, that's a double prophecy. Zechariah 12, says, Then I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, then they will look on me whom they pierce. God saying, they'll look upon me whom they pierce. And on the cross of Calvary, they looked at Jesus who they pierced. But we read at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Revelation 1-7, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, Amen. And sadly, the first time they looked on him, you know it. except for a remnant, they rejected him. But when they see him that second time coming back, all Israel will cry out to him and all Israel will be saved. Verse 38. I'm getting closer here. We'll try to speed preach here. You're like, I, thought, I thought you were already doing that. <laughs> Every once in a while, someone will say, can you slow down a little bit? They're, they're usually like brand new. I go, no. <laughs> That's how God wired me. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I go, you come, you come back next week and the week after that, and I guarantee you, God will start conditioning you. Amen. And then from there, we got CDs, and it's all over the internet. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, and Ar- Arimathea, is a, it, it, it's in the hills of northwest Jerusalem. Ar- Joseph of Arimathea, he lived in the hills. Where I grew up, You lived in the hills, you know, you were. A Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, notice here, but secretly, for fear of the Jews. And he wasn't fearful of his life. He was fearful to be put out of the synagogue. We read that earlier in John. They were fearful to get put out of the synagogue if they had fear of the Jews. So he's a disciple. Somewhere along the line, he got saved. But there was still a great fear of men in his heart. Aren't you glad that the Lord not only saves us, but then he begins to work in our life? He asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body away. He got saved somewhere along the way in the midst of Jesus rebuking those Pharisees in the midst of Jesus working in Jerusalem in the midst of the bulk of those Pharisees saying we want to kill him. He says, no, I need to die to myself. Jesus is Lord. And he put faith in the Lord. But he still had fear. And listen, God's gracious. God's merciful. Aren't you glad God works with us when we get saved? We'll work that out. Because when they were unlawfully trying him, Joseph of Arimathea began to get faith upon faith in his life. Because in Luke 23 50 says, now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man, and he had not consented to their decision and deed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. So during the Condemning of the Lord, there was one guy we know for sure who said, Wait a minute, this is wrong. That's an act of courage, is it not? That's Joseph of Arimathea beginning to come out and saying, Listen, I'm going to confess him before men. And then it moved him to take another step because now he fully takes courage and now he's fully coming out in the light and he says, I need to go to Pilate immediately. And God's given me wealth, and God's given me a position, and God's given me an in with Pilate, no doubt. And that is not just for me to be prosperous and live in the hills. That's for me to use it for the glory of God. I'm going to take the ticket that I got in to see Pilate, and I'm going to go ask for the body of Jesus. In fact, in Mark's gospel, it says, in Mark 15, 43, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, prominent who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went to Pilate and asked for the body. He's here and he says, listen, it's time for me to take courage. It's time for me to step up. I'm going for it. Went out in the light. I'm taking courage. And it started with that first step of saying, no, I'm not consenting to this. And now it moves and I'm taking courage and I'm gonna ask for the body of the Lord. I can't encourage you enough when I'm preaching to myself. Let's always be taking steps forward in faith. Don't let fear dictate your life. You're like, man, I, I got to get over there. We'll start by just getting right here, and the Lord will meet you where you at. And ne- we never read where Joseph of Arimathea, but then afterwards he regretted the whole thing. He's like, dude, I'm in scripture. I went from being a secret disciple to taking a couple steps in faith, and I'm in Scripture. No doubt to God be the glory, amen? Verse 39, and Nicodemus, who first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds. And they took the body of Jesus, bound it in strips and linen, with, with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now, Nicodemus was another Pharisee. And in John 3, remember, he came by night. He didn't want to be seen. And the Lord told him, to inherit the kingdom of God, you got to be born again. And he's like, what do you mean? i got to enter to my mother's womb a second time? And he says, you're a teacher of Israel, and you don't understand these things? I'm speaking to you with physical parables to teach you spiritual principles. And it seems that he was another secret disciple. I can see Joseph and Nicodemus after the Pharisee meeting, you know, meeting up at Denny's late at night nearly talking about what's going on. Give us that booth over there in the corner. But think about this, listen. I look at this and I see Joseph's step of faith influencing Nicodemus and him saying, I'm gonna take a step of faith too. I don't know about you, but it sounds to me like the beginning of a revival. And then they took 100 pounds of myrrh and aloe. And listen, those gifts that the Lord was given as a baby, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, they're prophetic. The gold is a picture of his royalty, the frankincense of his divinity, and that they would burn incense to the Lord in the temple and the myrrh absolutely represented his, his humanity and the fact that he'd die on the cross for us. And they took 100 pounds of this. Who has 100 pounds of this laying around? Joseph from the hills. <laughs> Spice men, you know, here we go. <laughs> and they bound him with linens and 100 pounds. And yes, listen, it's another evidence to show that Jesus was already dead. Because after everything he went through, then they bound him in this. And then again, they put him in an airless tomb. It's evidence of his death to show the proof of his resurrection. Now we're almost done here. And then I'm going to show you a few pictures at the end. It says, now the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day for the tomb was nearby. And think about it man sinned in the garden and Jesus died and was buried in a garden and rose in a garden. And many people believe it's the same garden because many people believe that the Garden of Eden was in Jerusalem. I don't know what I believe in that. It's not a salvation issue. So I'm like, yeah, maybe. But I know man sinned in the garden for sure and I know my Savior rose in a garden for sure. And listen, there was not a lot of time left in the day, they had to move fast. And so it, it was God, again, using the circumstances to bring about his will. Joseph of Marith, Arimathea took courage, and he knew the Lord's body needed to be in the tomb before sunset because the Sabbath was coming, and they weren't going to leave the, bo- the Lord's body out to have his body defile the land. Again, the day, the day was, it was preparation day. It was almost over. And it's a fulfillment, though, of Scripture, because, listen, that was Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. I'm going to show you a few pictures here in a second, but where Calvary is and Golgotha in that garden is, and you're, if you haven't seen you're going to get blown away. They say it was for sure owned by one of the most wealthy men in Jerusalem of that day, because it has one of the biggest cisterns in all of Jerusalem as well as one of, the big, all, one of the biggest olive presses in all of Jerusalem. And it was the fulfillment of prophecy, Isaiah 53, 9. And they made his grave with the wicked. Again, he was crucified with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. So it was prophetic that he would die a criminal's death, but he'd be buried in a rich man's tomb. And God just orchestrated all of it. They're just running around like, oh, you know, and God's just like, I'm in full control. Prophecy here, prophecy there, prophecy here. Here a prophecy, there a prophecy, there a prophecy. Why? So that they may believe. I I got some pictures. This is the first time I went to Jerusalem. It's called the Garden Tomb. It's the only part in Jerusalem that's owned by born-again Christians. And they're not supposed to preach the gospel there under the laws of Israel. But pastors go there for sabbaticals and will, you know what, present the information. But this guy, I love this guy because he said, I just preached the gospel. I don't care. I'm like, that's my man right there. <laughs> and he's holding up a picture of Skull Hill, Gogotha, from about 100 years ago. Look like a skull to you? Go ahead and go to the next one this is a modern day picture of it you can see how it's changed with um you know with time and and where on the hill sadly up above it is a Pal- i should have my pointer up above it is a palestinian bus station and they wrote up there in arabic there is only one god he has name- his name is allah and he has no son they're a little nervous so this is on one side to your right and then go ahead and go to the next one this is right there in the exact same place to your left that's the garden go to the next one this is all a garden up on this side and oh what's that look like it's a tomb go ahead and go to the next one and this is the tomb And many believe this is the actual tomb that Jesus Christ was put in because it's in the actual place. Now, I know that some say the Church of the Holy Sepulcher is the place. Constantine's mother declared that. She was wrong on that one. It's within the city walls. It doesn't even fit the scriptures. And this fits the scriptures perfectly. The place he was crucified, there was, you know, at a garden and a tomb. And then go ahead to the next one. That's what's on the door of it. And then go to the next one. This is the inside of it. And he's not there. He is risen. <laughs> so, praise God. Maybe, Lord willing, if he tarries, we'll take another trip over there. And you can join us for that. Let's stand up and close in prayer. And I know we went a little long with the, with the uh, slides there. So, Um. We'll just close in prayer this morning. We'll do something a little different. Because I see all these chiefs and 49ers things, and we've already beefed up security here because we didn't want any, like... (laughs) I'm just going to don't wear a Dodgers uh, hat. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about with that red and blue, right? You know what I'm talking about. Uh, Lord God, we praise you and we give you glory. And we thank you, Lord, for your death, your resurrection, for all that you've done for us, Lord. We thank you that this morning we could partake of the Lord's Supper, God as we look at the lord's life laid down for us god oh lord let us leave here and lord let us leave here with with a with an unction in our heart god to share the good news with those that need you because souls are eternal and lord just bless the rest of this day let it be rich and good and above everything else with all the going ons lord let us just look to you and give you praise and honor and glory listen if you're here today and you haven't called upon the name of jesus We talked about that thief on the cross. And he humbled his heart and he called out to the Lord. And he was calling out to the Lord to his depth, saying, I need a savior, Jesus. You are Lord, save me. Be my God, and the Lord met him right where he was. Listen, if that's you, call on his name. And then listen, go tell somebody. The Lord says if we confess him before men, he'll confess us before his Father in heaven. Lord, bless the rest of our day. Shine your face upon your people. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name and we said together, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.